people learn in very different ways, but I think the key is they should learn not in production. Welcome to the Opinion Dominion podcast. And today I wanted to explore the cost of learning a new skill or a new tool. Now, the sheer numbers of things one has to learn to get good at Linux or BSD can sometimes be a bit overwhelming. I remember when I first started Linuxing back in the dark ages, with the Unix dinosaurs, I should say, it was expected that you would know or at least be familiar with a whole litany of things, among which are C and its many paradigms, libraries, linking, all that. You should be comfortable with, able, with compiling your own kernel and software too, which meant you needed to know GNU, you needed to know tool chains, make files, all that jazz. You need to be adept level or better at shell operation and scripting, probably bash, but not always. Uh, it could be TCSH or KSH also in a pinch. You really needed to be good at a lot of command line filters and tools too, for instance, grep. And if you were going to be able to get anything done, you probably needed to be proficient with networks and TCP IP. That's a big list, all just right off the bat. And that's just what it was expected of most good Linuxers. JT, is there anything I'm missing out of that list that you remember from the early yeah, days? Yeah, actually, all the primary things, like how Linux actually works, the file system layout, uh, the init system, rc.d, config files, basic package management. I mean, remember, Windows, you just download one file from the internet to install something. Right. You got to learn that updates, you know, again, you have to do that yourself. You're, you don't have to just go download another binary from the internet and, oh, that one's newer. So I need to install that one. So yeah, there's, there's a lot that is there and like, that's just the day to day stuff. You know, you covered a lot more of the in-depth right. stuff, but you kind of, okay. I think you kind of missed the, uh, what the actual person deals with when they turn their computer on. I don't know. I just, it seems like I remember doing a lot. Well, okay. Maybe. I don't want to say my experience was different than yours because we were both using Slackware, but um, it seems like I was compiling software an awful lot more than I was just installing from packages. Maybe that was down to the kinds of things I was trying to do. Actually, I can I can guarantee it was down to the things I was trying to do. I was playing around with desktop environments and uh, at the early days of uh, FFmpeg and things like that. And there was just a heck of a lot of compiling going on there just to get stuff to work. Um, I will say, though, that uh, the list... Combining your list and my list of all the things that you would need to know to be good at it has grown since, I'd say, the year 2000. I mean, how many, we've had an explosion of additional desktop environment features and this and that. I remember Barrel came and went and Compass Fusion and all these other advanced techniques. And, oh, now you need to know about your font server. Do you want actual anti-alias fonts? Now you need to be able to recompile your fonts. There's just a thousand things that have been added to the list. And then if you're doing more sysadmin stuff, then you're facing the rebirth of virtual machines. Not that they're new. IBM was doing virtual machines in the 70s. The advancement of DevOpsery. That's, I, I don't know that there was really much advancement more along the lines of people recognizing a, a series of patterns and saying, okay, we're going to call that DevOps and that's what we're seeking now. Plus uh, all the uh, asterisk as a service, anything that would be coming along and would be operational expenditure instead of uh, CapEx. And now you need to know how that works too. And more recently, we're talking about containerization and Kubernetes and all these other skills that are being added in. I mean, 
just looking at the list of things that one would be expected to know now, ignoring all the stuff from the, the past list, that's a huge list of stuff too. And there's probably quite a lot of that I'm skipping over because we just don't have time to cover it all. Maybe, maybe a later podcast for that. And I was thinking through this list and wondering, when is there really time to learn any of these skills? I mean, some of these I can pick up on the job. Uh, maybe I can get some formal training from Kubernetes because I know that my company is going to be deploying that soon. Or um, probably most people get experience with virtual machines just because they're um, practiced so much when we're doing Linux stuff. But I, I wager most people are probably behind on deadlines to produce 19 different things. And you don't really have time to invest in acquiring new skills. So I guess I wonder how is one, if you're starting out or you're early in your journey, how does one find the time to acquire some of these skills? JT, what do you think? Well, that's, that's probably a million dollar question right there. And there are a lot it of is. companies that have built businesses specifically on trying to answer that question. For me, when I first started to really dig in and learn was because I wanted to put out my first puppy release. And... I ran into all those things that I didn't know that I needed to know because for, I think for most people, the best way to learn is when it's something you're interested in or you have a task mm -hmm. that you want to accomplish instead of just, Absolutely. Oh, I'm being paid to do this thing. No, this is something I actually want to do. Uh, you can't, you can't really make creating your own init script a fun situation. So you really have to want to do it and want to learn it. I don't know that I agree with that statement. Okay. Well, I, I think there's, there's ways to do it. Um, let's say you're dealing with something that's very poor and you're improving it. And therefore, I, it's not like I jumped in head first, wanted to learn, you know, system to unit files, but I'm having fun fixing the major problem. And this is actually what I would like to do long term, just fix all these problems one after the other. So that, that maybe that falls into a, a little valley there. But uh, I think that's also a personality thing of yours. You like the challenge. Okay. But if you're fair. trying to teach somebody that's else, fair. they might not enjoy the challenge that you have set out for them. Yeah. Okay. I agree. That's a, maybe that's just how I work. And since I only know me, um, I can't really speak to how other people do it, but that's how I, mean, I approach people it. People learn in a, in a, in a myriad of ways. I think a really good example of how this is done in practice is scratch. So you're learning all of these little things. You know what scratch is by the way? Oh, is that the one where you get the little sprites and you're moving around to do videos and stuff? It's uh, it comes on the raspberry Pi for teaching kids how to program okay. and programming logic and stuff like that. So it's a, it's a okay. language and there's a process that you go through and you know, there's all these steps and you learn, you're learning little pieces at a time. And when you get to the end of it, you've actually made a small game. So you're learning oh, okay. a fun way to then end at a goal that gives you something fun to do. And I think now obviously that's designed for kids, but I think that is actually a really effective way to do it because each of the individual steps is interesting and it makes them want to keep going and they know that they're getting to something bigger. And then at the end, they have that thing that they've then built. Um, I don't necessarily think that's going to okay. translate into adults, but yeah. I don't know. I think adults like that too, especially if you maybe you grew up playing games and you're like, Ooh, I got a chance to make one. Mm -hmm. That, that right there is, is a good hook. I had to admit that's a, that's a pretty sexy hook for someone wanting to get into programming. I've actually thought about putting Scratch on my resume just for fun as one of the languages that I know, just to see if I get any comments <laughs> by people going, you have yeah. Scratch down as a language that you know. And be like, yes, yes, I do. I, I teach programming and that's what we use, therefore. Because you, you can kind of go totally legit with it, you know? 
Uh, I was uh, teaching programming to some students uh, uh, last year uh, before COVID started getting everything wrecked. And they and their freaked out were doing some of these. Uh, I think it's. I think they were doing Scratch. I don't know if they were doing it on, their, on a Raspberry Pi. They were doing it on a website. Uh-huh. I do remember them trying to assemble scenes uh, ostensibly towards, they, they mentioned like game development. So I think it's the same thing that what you're talking about. I yeah, I mean, it scratch though, ultimately, honestly. when it comes to Linux, I think the uh, the classic meme comes in is that one does not simply learn Linux. You, there's a yeah. million things there. It's not just, oh, I'm going to learn Linux this weekend. Right. I think a lot of people probably sat down and say, okay, I'm going to use Linux. I got a, I got a Raspberry Pi. Someone said to go get it. I got my monitor. I got a you know, keyboard plugged in. What now? There's a lot of people that have had that experience. I remember early on having that experience going, what do I do with it? I was really excited. If I finally got it work, working, I had to recompile several times to get some sound drivers going. And then I was like, okay, it's working now. What do I do? Kind of poking at it. Like, does it do anything on its own? And then I discovered Excise and it was all over. You know, I just turned on Excise and had fun with that. Yeah, that's it. But again, I think there's a lot of people that are like, I want to, I want to learn. Hours and hours spent. You seriously, if you're in a certain mindset, you can literally spend an hour playing with it. I'm not going to say any more than that. Okay. But I, I will say that uh, there's probably quite a lot of people that the more they go into Linux, the, I'll spend a weekend trying to learn it. Oh my gosh, I'm going to need more than a weekend. Maybe I'll need a month or something. I'll set aside some more time. Oh gosh, a month isn't enough. Look at all these things I have to learn. Look at all these things that I've got to go through. And over and over and over again, it's just you realize every time you think you've reached the next level and a greater understanding of the next amount of depth, you realize, nope, nope, it's deeper than that. It's There's always more to plumb. And Pretty much, I think if you stick with it long enough, you'll you'll learn enough and have a broad enough knowledge. You can do most things you want, and you'll also along the way learn what it is you actually want to do, because you can do pretty much anything. You can work it as high in the stack as you want, or as low in the stack as you want. If you want to go down and and play around with the kernel devs and become a kernel dev yourself, go for it. They've got tons of need. There's tons of patches coming in, and they're not all very good. So jump in and help. Or you want to go be building application stacks on top using, I don't know, Python or something. Go ahead. Anywhere you want to land. There's there's all this space to land, but you're going to have to learn a lot of skills along the way, and you have to be willing to do so. Not everybody is willing to do so. Yeah, but I think the key there, again, is somebody has to want to do it. And this is why, personally, I am not really a fan of the industry practice of OJT for IT people. Uh, OJT, if anyone doesn't know the acronym, is on-the-job training. I mean, it's good within reason, but I think the way that overall we apply it is not within reason. Let me give some highlights from some different <laughs> industries. Uh, for instance, let's say you have someone who is a surgeon. He's a knee surgeon. He's the best knee surgeon in the world. And they go, hey, uh, we have a cardiac surgery we need you to take care of. Can you, uh, can you hop on that? Uh, you're a surgeon, so you know how to do it. It's, it's it's in your field. It's medicine. It's the scalpel. You know, just go take care of that. Figure it out on the way. Uh, no, we would not. We would not be cool with that. You know, a mechanic. I'd be like, a mechanic that works on all sorts of parts of your car. You know, he changes your brakes. He fixes your hoses and your belts and all that. And one day you need your transmission rebuilt. Oh yeah, just take it apart and put it together. I mean, it's just a bunch of screws and bolts, right? Just, it'll be fine. Just, you'll be good at it. Like, no, you're you're not going to want that either. You know, we have a teacher who teaches, let's say, English for K through 12. I don't know any there. And then we decide, oh, well, you're a teacher. You know how to teach people. Can you go teach this postdoc class on uh, on Shakespeare? That'd be great. Thanks. Like, again, no. And I think 
for some I would reason, be foolish enough to try, honestly, because I think it'd be fun to try. In, in IT, we think, oh, you know something about technology, or you know something about Linux. Therefore, you should be able to automatically do everything. Go do it. And then you just push someone off into the wolves, and you're like, oh, well, they'll learn on the go. And yeah, they can learn on the go. But the result of that is now we have badly configured systems because the person didn't know what they were doing when they were doing it because they were learning how to do it. And yeah, maybe they arrived right. with a system that ran according to the requirements, but it could be an absolute travesty for how well it works or is it vulnerable or is there extra things on it that shouldn't be running so it's not running efficiently. Yeah, I've been in all those situations before. Yeah. I think we as an industry really need to understand that something needs to be learned in practice before we throw that person at production. Um, now, yes, people learn in different ways. Some people learn by watching someone else do something. Some people learn by just opening up a book and reading through it. Some people learn by opening up a book, reading through it, trying to type that in, and while also getting you know instructions from somebody else. Like, People learn in very different ways, but I think the key is they should learn not in production. And you shouldn't take <laughs> someone who is a sysadmin who runs, you know, maybe they, maybe they run, do user management and network management on a computer, on, you know, your servers, and they're good at that. And you're like, okay, so we need you to build our DevOps infrastructure. Okay, well, that's a completely different thing that they've never done before. You need to give them time to learn how to do that the right way before they do it, instead of just expecting them to learn while they do it. I say this as a person who has absolutely been thrown to the wolves in this case. And yeah, I learned a lot, mm -hmm. but not only do I think I was kind of done a disservice, but I think I could have done better had I been given more time to learn, research, and figure out the best way to do it. And it, this also goes into just, just the programming aspect. At a certain level, we do the same thing with all our programmers. It's like, okay, great. You got out of college, you have a CS degree, you've learned, you know, you took two semesters of Python, you took a semester of, of C and a semester of C++. Here, sit down when you just start writing C++ in this very complex application that you've never seen before. So, not you know, yeah, they might understand the basics, they might know roughly what they're doing, but you're not going to get the highest quality code out of that person. It can take months to get used to a code base, honestly. You know, again, speaking from experience, when... I started to learn QT was literally on the job. Like I was interviewed for a job for doing QT and they're like, well, you know, this is what we're going to want you to do. And I'm like, okay, you do realize like, I don't know QT. Like I have dabbled in C++. I can read some QT and understand what's going on, but I've not, I don't write QT. And they're like, it's okay. You can learn. Okay, fine. I'm willing to learn. I, and I'm telling you right now, some of the code that I wrote was trash. Now I did learn. And then I rewrote the trash code. Good, good. I, don't i mean it was a great opportunity and i'm not mad that i got that opportunity but at the same time i really wish that there would have been maybe some okay yes we understand that your skill isn't up to level so we're going to help you get up to speed in say your first six months by there's a course that we want you to take or we want you to do this or, or whatever mm -hmm. you know or we're going to give you some of the smaller tasks that costs money though that's more than zero dollars yeah or you know we're going to give you some of the smaller tasks and then the senior that you're with is going to evaluate that, go over that with you, and then we'll we'll move you up. That'd have been fine. Instead, it was a lot of, 
okay, here's the minimal task. Do that. Oh, okay, good. You got that done. Here's the complex task. You, we want you to, to, you know, write the data analysis engine for an application that's going to have data streaming in from anywhere from 100 to 1,000 different data sources. They're going to stream data in, and you need to ingest that data, process that data, run analysis on that data based to all of these uh, key pair hash tables that have been configured for what the values should be, what they shouldn't be, if they're above this, if they're below this, and then process in real time all of that data that's coming in, write it out to the database at the same time, and also flag certain data so that if it needs to be noticed, that it can be noticed. And it was like, right. oh, okay. Yeah, I'll, sure. I'll, I'll get right on that. Sure, I can yeah. do that. And mm -hmm. I, I did write something, and it, it did work. I would put work in air quotes, but it did not work well. <laughs> and, you know, what ended up happening was the senior dev, when I showed it to him, he's like, okay, yeah, this this this, this works. And then, you know, he he actually did take the time to, to, like, walk me through and go, okay, there's a better way to do this. There's a better way to do this. Oh, that's perfect. But the problem was yeah. it was such a complex task, each subtask, was in its own massive complexity. So we could have spent weeks going over that for me to properly learn the right way to do it. Instead, it was about 30 minutes. And at the end of that right. 30 minutes, he had effectively rewritten everything that I had done. Now, he had the easy part of just writing it properly instead of actually having to figure out all of the, the algorithm and everything. But it was kind of funny because at the end of it, he's like, yeah, so see, you know, you, you were almost there. And it's like, okay, great. But actually, there's not a single line of mine left. So... How was I almost there? And I'm driving from New York to California. You made it to Missouri. You're almost there, dude. Yeah. yeah or you quite, drove from, from California to to New York. Well, but you should have taken the train, you know, so. Right. Well, I've had experiences like that. Yeah. No, I, I, I will say this. Uh, for a lot of people, some of this Linux stuff is indistinguishable from magic. You know, that old saw that. Uh, sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. And honestly, it's, they can't tell if we're actually doing real magic, like with incantations and wiggling our fingers and all that, or we're just like maybe wiggling our fingers on the keyboard in just the right way is the incantation to make it do that. And you could probably squint and make a case that that's exactly what they were doing. But without knowing or having the context to understand the exact difficulty of what you're asking, some people just, uh, I mean, honestly, some people shouldn't be asking at all. Like this person who assigned this massive thing to you, without revealing any more too much information, did they know what they were asking you for? Did they have an idea of the enormity of the task? Yes. I think this is a problem of someone who knows how to do it, looks at the task and goes, oh, well, this really isn't that complex. Hmm. Whereas someone who has never done anything like that before is then thrust with, you need to figure all this out right now. Yeah. Again, when you know how to yeah, do something, the task doesn't look as difficult. That's true. Yeah. And we've also downplayed the importance of all the little stuff on the corners or the, the bounds checking and the input checking, all that stuff. That's really important to make a good working product or, you know, making sure you're getting clean input data. Now, how many times have uh, softwares fallen over because they just didn't do any good clean input data? But that takes time. And it's not the sexy part of figuring out the algorithm, this or that. But it still takes time. And when I'm plotting something out, I tend to gloss over some of those things. Like my script, the actual meat of the script doing what it's supposed to do is maybe 40 lines. It ends up the whole script being 400 because I'm putting all the other stuff in there that you really need to make it robust. And it's easy to forget that also when we're factoring in what all are we going to need to do. I, I don't know if that's just a, I don't have the discipline to really sit down and, and plot these out, or maybe I, don't, I haven't ever sat down and say, okay, 
let's evaluate how much time did I just spend on the script? How many man hours were spent on the actual like part I knew up front and how much was spent on, you know, the input validation, how much was spent on making sure the loop wouldn't fail and how much was spent on this part or that part. And it would be almost always eye-opening to me, I think, because I'm just, I don't factor that in and I don't factor that in adequately. And I imagine most people don't actually do that. This actually, this discussion went in a very interesting direction, completely away from where I thought it was going to go. I kind of want to stick with this. Um, it seems like probably most listeners have had similar experiences to this. Like they were handed something uh, ridiculous, perhaps, or like, are you kidding? I, I, I don't know how to do that. Or some people, there's also, I'll, I'll, I'll touch on this too, that there's a, a good deal of imposter syndrome in our business and people are afraid of being discovered that they don't know certain things. And so they'll go ahead and agree to do it and hope they can Google it out later. And I think that leads to a lot of people madly scrambling at home to figure it out, like uh, desperately spending, you know, you come home from your job, it's seven o'clock, you do family stuff, it's now 930 or whatever, and you spend the next four hours desperately trying to figure out what you're going to do the next day at work. And you come into work exhausted. I've had experiences like that. And I was unwilling to say, I don't know what I'm doing. Because I didn't want to be booted out. Right. I thought they're going to figure out that I, I don't belong here. And that was just you know, mostly it was imposter syndrome. I think it's very rampant in our business. If oh, you yeah, can I set that it, aside and filter out that. Yeah, I think that's definitely ahead. a problem. And I think also it's, it's a self-feedback loop. When you have to act like you know everything and can do everything, then you can't ever break that, that veneer of, okay, I don't know how to do that. You're going to need to give me a couple days to figure that out. And because you're unwilling to do that, you never get the opportunity to really learn how to do it right. And the person behind you who wants your job, he might not know how to do it either, but he's going to act like he knows everything because he wants your job. So it's yeah. self-defeating in that we're putting ourselves into an impossible situation because for whatever reason, we all have communally agreed that honesty is not the best policy, which is, by the way, a horrible <laughs> thing for us to do. Um, it, it is, and it is. By, because of that, we have created absolutely, utterly, um, what's the best way to say it? Uh, a standard that we can't reach because no person can know how to do all of this stuff, especially stuff you've never done before. You can't just, oh yeah, that oh, yeah. thing I've never done before. I know how to do it. Like, no, that's, that's not the way it works. Uh, but yet we have as a mass basically created our industry around that falsehood. And mm -hmm. it, it just makes it harder and harder. And I think it's getting worse and worse as time goes by and as systems get more and more complex. And mm -hmm. I have kind yeah. of been hoping that there will be a break point where things start to get, I don't want to say segmented, but there's more of a differentiation between roles such that you can actually start to specialize in one thing. And while on some hands that happens, uh, on other hands, we also then create all these buzzwords that then blend everything back together again. Oh, yeah, gosh. And the people that aren't doing it but need to be able to talk about it. Right. Maybe sometimes intelligently. Or journalists. I mean, we were ragging on journalists in the last episode. You know, maybe I have a duty to report on this thing I'm seeing, but I have no idea what to call it. So here I'll invent a new term. God, it really it drives me up a wall. It actually happened to me a bunch of times. Uh, I'd, I'd be programming, developing something, going through something, and I would show somebody else, and they'd be like, oh, look at that. That's a, a Frobian loop. I'm like, what the hell's a Frobian loop? Well, it's right there. I, I don't know. I just thought that's how you're supposed to do that thing. I didn't know how to name. 
This happened mm-hmm. to me a bunch of times. It used to make me really upset. Like if I had known that was like worth putting my name on, I was doing this four years ago before this guy ever coined the term. If I had known it was important, I would have put my name on it. But uh, I, I think some of that's just bitterness that I wasn't cursed or didn't think of it or am not public with my code. That's probably mostly what it is. But uh, there's just a lot of people that, that eat on the back of this industry that aren't actually technical or they, um, I don't want to say are taking advantage of us. That, that Sometimes it feels that way, but every, no, every I think, company needs. I think you can say that. I, I know I know okay. people that I have run into before that if they were actually required to do the job that they are being paid to do, they would not be able to. But <laughs> yeah. they are good enough at kind of smearing some other stuff around that other people have worked on to where it's like, oh, yeah, see, look, I, I, had, I helped with this. Or, you know, the old candle issue where you're burning the candle at both ends where... They tell one person they're working on A, they tell the next person they're working on B, and really, the two other people are the ones doing the work, and they're just playing the middle as, oh yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm helping them, I'm helping them. And that's frustrating because, you know, you have people that don't know what they're doing, getting paid ridiculous amounts of money, and then people who do know what they're doing aren't given the opportunity because, oh, well, this person's always been a miracle worker. So... You know, we want to yeah. stick with them. And like, no, I'm not, yeah. that's a tough one because if someone, you know, has been with a company, I think there should be some loyalty by the company mm-hmm. to an employee. But at the same time, it's a symbiotic relationship. And by definition, both parties have to benefit. It can't just be right. one party benefiting off another. Because then it's just manipulation or, or uh, remora mm-hmm. fish kind of thing. Yeah. Well, I, I think there's a lot of times uh, someone is a miracle worker and I just discount that because I, I'm I'm in the business of fire prevention, frankly. You know, I, I break down a lot of this business into you're either fighting a fire or you're preventing a fire. And I I don't want to fight fires because the fires happen on weekends and overnight or when I'm in the middle of something else. I don't want to be interrupted. I'd rather be the guy out front going, okay, we're going to build this building extra strong. We're going to use the pink board so that it won't catch fire in case, you know, fire gets to the walls. It'll actually resist it, this, that, and the other. Yeah, I know it's more expensive, but we need to do this because here's the benefit. That's me. Someone else is like, we'll just toss a building up, and if it catches fire, we'll spray it and fix it. And that's, you know, their approach. Or I know some people over the years who have been happy to create the fires that they then go put out, and they get the hero worship for putting out the fires. Mm -hmm. Or they weren't, like, actively setting fires, but they were, like, PG&E where they're not doing the maintenance, and you know a fire is going to start at some point, and it's going to be roughly around here, and you're going to have the assets ready to fix it when it does start. But you're just not going to do what's required to make sure it doesn't. The also the other is better for the company almost always. Yeah, the other side of that is when you have to extend your analogy even further. You know, companies that are putting up buildings that are going to burn down, and somebody's like, oh, "Excuse me, this is going to burn down," and the company's like, "No, no, it's fine. Yeah. Don't worry about it. It's not an issue." And it's like, "No, no, no, no. Mm-hmm. really, this is going to burn down." And they're like, "Dude, we don't know why you're being so dramatic and making an issue of this. We've never had one of our buildings burn down yet." Like, right, but all your buildings are in a row next to each other. So all it's going to take is one, <laughs> and then they're all going to burn down. So It's like the Kowloon Wall jungle. It's like the whole thing is just one massive building on top of each other without really paying attention. Yeah, the, uh, in the area where I live, they've been putting up these five-story all-wood apartments, and I keep looking at them going, all-wood, five stories. How is that not going to fall down someday? I mean, they're building an apartment complex to last 30 years. Maybe that's it. And, and the other question I have is, 
how is that code, fire code? I just keep wondering. And I, my brother-in-law is a firefighter, and I'll ask him. And he goes, it's it's not really, but they build a, there are ways to get your room classed this, and then the fire requirements are much less. And so they're building entire buildings around making sure they're meeting the lower fire code. And then I have to think, I'm never going to live in any of those buildings that I've seen being put up that way because I don't want to be burned alive because they cut a corner. And that's a good analogy to what a lot of companies are doing too. Especially when you talk about the security aspect of things and they'll just build something without thinking about, oh, someone may trundle in this and start guessing API numbers and be able to pull data. You know, there's just, just a lot of that in our business, I think, and it gets kind of irritating. I'd use another word if we weren't recording, um, but irritating. We'll settle on irritating. How yeah. about that? Yeah, to, so. to take it back to one of the things we were talking about before and to tie it in with what you were just talking about, one of the problems I mentioned was you know, when you have someone do something that they don't know how to do, you're not going to get as quality of a product as you should. And I know in the past there have been businesses that I've done consulting with that have had software, and it's like, okay, there is a glaring security issue in the software. Now, I don't want to throw shade on the dev who wrote it because maybe they didn't know, or maybe they were specifically right. told, no, you can't write this, you have to do it in this way, even though it's insecure. And the corporate mm -hmm. response was just, well, you know, if it's a security vulnerability, we'll deal with it when, when something happens. But until something happens, it's not worth us to actually invest and, and spend the time to fix it or do it right. And it's like, is oh, it though? That like, just drives me nuts. Is it? <laughs> no, now is the time. Well, you know, I'm telling you, Right now, you know about it. At this point, the clock starts. You can mm -hmm. no longer pretend like you don't know about it. Yeah, this is a, a PR headache. It's right there on the on on, on the wind. It's waiting. Mm -hmm. it's, it's blowing your direction. You can mm -hmm. not make it an issue and resolve the issue, and then that'll never affect you. Or you can just wait until one day it hits you. And mm -hmm. unfortunately, there's a lot of places that but that one day's it's way in the future. That one day is coming. Yeah, it's always, it's good know, enough for three now. Months, three years? It's good enough for now. Right. That'll be somebody else's problem. My deadline is next week. So I have to get this out now, and I'm not thinking about what's going to happen in three months. Heck, I'm going to even be here in three months. Yeah. You know, or well, that, that's a little bit short, but three years from now, someone's going to find you. Yeah, I want to get this product done mm -hmm. and out so that I can then leave and go work for another company and use the fact that I got this product <laughs> from a mess to out mm -hmm. the door in a year and a half. That's how good I am. Ra, look mm -hmm. at me. Hire me and pay me 300 grand to work for your company. And then they yeah. do the same thing at that company and then then they you know, rinse and repeat and then they go for another job somewhere else. Mm -hmm. In the meantime, they're just building disasters everywhere they touch, but on paper mm -hmm. it looks really good and they just continue to work themselves up the food chain and then they end up to eventually they will run into a situation where there's a colossal disaster. But at that point, they probably made enough money that they don't care. They could just peace out and go live mm -hmm. on their own and be yeah. happy with all their money. Yeah. Well, I th I've seen, I worked in a couple of startups over the years and I've seen quite a few personalities like that. Not at all the startups, um, but there's almost always, you know, the swagger guys that are in there. They want to be in the door early. They don't actually have anything to bring to the table, but they pretend like they do. And they, Usually these are the same people that schedule a thousand meetings a week and they're all so busy all the time and they never have time to actually meet with you to get anything really done. And so they go, just, just take care of it. I don't have time to meet with you. So the net result is you do their work. I'm generalizing here and throwing shade on mystical people that don't actually exist. Just I can, I've run into these people before and it's, it's, I'm, I'm one of the guys that just sits down and does the work. So it's irritating to know that you're going to claim credit for what I'm about to do. 
or you're going to say that I, you motivated me to do it or you created the conditions to do it. Uh, there's a lot of people that will just set someone else up just because they're wanting to take that success and they don't care how it happens. Well, this went way off topic from where I wanted, but this is fascinating stuff. Yeah, but it's honestly. a good conversation. And, you know, like I, I said, so. when we first started this show, you know, we have had these type of conversations over the years where we start at A and then we go from A mm -hmm. to B to C and then somehow we're at H and then we're at M yeah. and then we're at QRST. But they always end up being good conversations. So, I think so. Yeah, I think we captured a good one here. Uh, there's there's more that I would like to cover, but I think I'll save it for the next episode or a near episode. We can come back and revisit some of the things we've covered. Listeners, uh, if you're if any of these things that we've said resemble you or experiences you've had, please share it with us because I I know some of you've been had some of these experiences. You've been stuck with a project that you're like, I have to do what? I don't have the training for this, or someone took the credit, or someone left a hot mess in your lap. This probably happened to everybody, but. Uh, Share it with us. We can uh, share some of these misery tales on air and have a good time. Um, sharing our misery together, we'll say that. And this is a good segue to ask. Do we have any uh, new email or anything coming in? Uh, we do. We have some feedback. But I think with how long this episode has gone, we need to save it for another one because this, this feedback is kind of meaty. So it's, uh, Okay. Well, then yeah. let's, we'll tackle that next episode. All right. Well, thank you very much, guys, for listening. We'll talk to you soon.